Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast, the podcast for serious hockey players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their hockey careers. And now, here is your host, New England Hockey Journal's Kirk Ludicky. Welcome to the New England Hockey Journal RinkWise Podcast. Kirk Ludicky here with Jeff Cox. It's great to have you guys as, as listeners as we uh, continue doing our episodes here of the RinkWise podcast. Before we introduce our guest, I want you to l- let you know that we have a lot going on at the New England Hockey Journal. We've got everything from our prep coverage has been kicking off with prep team previews. We just had two big events in the area, the River Rats Jamboree and the Eastern Alliance kickoff. So many teams at, at multiple age divisions and levels. And uh, congratulations to those teams that, that won those divisions, uh, top players. And then, of course, we've got uh, pro hockey around the corner. So we've got some Boston Bruins preview coverage that has already dropped and, and more to come. So we remind you to subscribe to the New England Hockey Journal, www.hockeyjournal.com. Additionally, you can subscribe to the Rinkwise podcast on Apple, Spotify, or however you get your podcasts or even on our website so that you can listen to every one of our New England Hockey Journal Rinkwise podcasts. Additionally, for anyone out there who's looking for a great weekend of hockey coming up, College Hockey's premier regular season tournament comes to Worcester, Massachusetts on October 8th and 9th as Holy Cross hosts the Icebreaker Tournament. Don't miss any of the action at the DCU Center in Worcester as Boston College, Northeastern, Quinnipiac, and Holy Cross take the ice to open the college hockey season. Tickets are on sale now and are just $30 for a day pass and $50 for all four games. To an experience amazing weekend of college hockey, head to GoHolyCross.com forward slash icebreaker to reserve your seats today. Our special guest today is one of the most experienced and successful prep hockey coaches in New England. We are so glad to welcome Paul Kanata, head coach of Milton Academy Mustangs Boys Varsity Hockey Team, to the New England Hockey Journal RinkWise podcast. He's been behind the Milton bench for nearly two decades and won the 2011 New England Prep School Athletic Conference Championship in a memorable contest against Kent School. He's also spent 12 years coaching at the college level. The last six years of that was as an assistant at Northeastern. And he's even coached girls U8 hockey. He's spent a long time fostering development in the state of Massachusetts and spending a lot of time mentoring coaches around the country with his wealth of experience and coaching and mentoring, Coach Kanata, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, pleasure, and uh, thanks for uh, thanks for bringing me in, Coach. First of all, we're all following the situation with uh, your player in Milton Academy's Jake Tebow in the wake of a of a serious injury he suffered this past weekend in the Eastern Alliance Labor Day event. Best wishes are with with Jake and his family at this time. Do you, do you have an update and how's he doing? Uh, Jake has has some challenges. There's no question. As we sit here right now, he's got a he's got a battle in front of him. And uh, you know what we can all do right now is help. Uh, this is a family that needs help. Uh, great kid. I'm sure people have heard and read. Uh, truly is uh, one of the one of the most energetic, positive uh, young people that I've ever dealt with. And uh, mom's been a nurse for 30 years and has helped you know, thousands of people in her profession over the, the last three decades. And uh, right now this is a family that, that needs help. And, you know, financially is, is how we can do it. Um, obviously a GoFundMe page is set up uh, under Jake Tebow. And there's going to be immediate expenses to the family. Um, 
and then there's going to be long-term costs. And, and unfortunately, families, other families have found themselves in these situations as well. And uh, so if we could step forward and help Jake, um, that's what we're all trying to do right now. Um, but I would like to let everybody know, truly, again, the nickname uh, that we had for him was the world's greatest kid. Um, just anybody who knew him, any teacher, any coach, any teammate, um, would 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 say the same thing, and uh, you know, a little tidbit got hurt Saturday about five o'clock. Went into about six hours of surgery uh, that went into the wee hours of Sunday. Uh, Monday morning, woke up and uh, had some little dumbbells in his bed, and uh, started his comeback, and, mm. and literally was doing yeah. little bench presses and push press and chest flies uh in his bed monday morning and and that's jake um you know again anybody who's ever worked with him just a, a super positive young man and, and we're all going to do the best we we can to help him have the best possible outcome we don't know what that outcome will be we know he's got a tremendous challenge and uh, we know if anybody can get up and do 20 jumping jacks after this it's jake tebow and we're going to help them with that uh, as best we can going forward here. All right, Coach Kanata, can you take us through your background in hockey, where you came from, played growing up, and, and how you got into coaching and mentoring student-athletes? Uh, sure. Grew up locally here in West Roxbury, and my brother and I stumbled into the West Roxbury MDC rink, I think just because a neighbor somehow was doing something, and we tagged along, and... Uh, the Carrig family, uh, like six kids down the street, and uh, and then we played on the ponds a little bit back then too, and and that got going. And uh, from Boston Public Schools, ended up at Roxbury Latin and stayed there the six years, and uh, and then uh, again stumbled on Hamilton College, which I had never heard of. Like every kid back then, dream probably was to play at BC or BU or Northeastern. Uh, Beanpot School, I guess I have to mention Harvard because you got to get all four of them in. But uh, right. Harvard seemed a little distant back then. I don't know why. But uh, <laughs> and, uh, maybe I was self-aware of my academics. Yeah. I don't know. But man has uh, got to know his limitations, yeah. as Dirty Harry said. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> we play back in those days. You played a lot of games at the old Boston Arena. You played at BU with the old Greater Boston League. And you played at BC, Conti Forum. So I guess it's just a little more familiarity. But... Uh, but, you know, then right after college, um, just you know, went for uh, an interview for group insurance in Springfield. And um, a few friends, football, hockey guys had done that. And uh, at the same time, AIC in Springfield, which I knew very little about, uh, my coach was sending a recommendation to Mass Mutual for the group insurance. And he, and he said, hey, by the way, there's a AIC in Springfield looking for a grad assistant coach. And... Uh, I took note of it and spent three hours in a shirt and tie talking about sales in the morning. And then I literally, I remember being out in the parking lot, taking my tie off and some other guy was heading to his car and I said, Hey, so you, you from around here, do you, you know, you know where AIC is? And he goes, Oh, it's, it's right on state street. here. Just go down three miles into Springfield and you'll come to it. Said, ah, well, I'm out here. And I, I literally drove down state street, uh, found the college, parked the car, then, went on campus again and just asked, anybody know who the hockey coach is? And they said, yeah, Gary Wright. I said, you know where his office is? I said, yeah, he's also director of housing. He's over in that building. And, and literally just walked into the building, knocked on the door. He was sitting there, and a uh, great guy, a, a legend, uh, character, and uh, had a conversation with him. And 
went back for a more official visit a couple of weeks later, and that was 1990, and and here we are. Wow, that's great. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, you you've been at it a while. You've been at Milton since 2005, as uh, approximately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um, this past year was, I mean, going back to March of of. 2020. I mean, I think the prep season was was probably done by then, but certainly the 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 COVID pandemic and, you know had a profound effect on hockey everywhere. Just uh, can you maybe take us through what the last 18 months have, uh, have been like for you and your program, and how it impacted your student athletes? Yeah, for for everybody, obviously, this has been a ride. You know, hopefully, a once in a lifetime ride. Um, you know, leading up to these these last couple of weeks have been tough in the hockey world, obviously, and. Uh, but going back to COVID, I feel for the seniors, really. Last year, if you were a senior in, in high school or a senior in college, um, you know, it's tough. And uh, I'm not sure as much tough on the sort of physical development side as much as just missing out on, on what are usually great experiences. Win, lose, or drop, you know, playing that senior year and your teammates and that experience. Unfortunately, many kids got, got robbed of that. Um, and it, I guess if we step back and say, okay, if that's the worst thing that happened, um, you know, in an 80-year lifetime, we'll be okay. But there's no doubt that's been, you know, not just hockey players, obviously, everybody, graduations, proms, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those keystone sort of events, um, the socialization, it's, it's, you know, it's been a tough year. Um, but we're coming back, and, and here we all are, and, and we'll go forward. So, you know, and then Jeff and I are, are certainly curious about this because, I mean, w- even with the pandemic, we were fortunate. We managed to see, you know, a good bit of hockey that, yeah. that was done. But some of these prep players, they haven't played in, in a long time. Or, or in other cases, these were these were minor players when the pandemic hit, and now they're going to get their first taste of, yeah. of prep hockey. And, and they might be at an age where you're forced to, to use them yep. a little more than, than maybe you would have would have done previously how, how, how do you how do you see that shaping up in terms of these the adjustment that some of these young players are going to have to make and, and then the older players that were were at the level and then have have, have missed out on the last yep. you know year well they, we're lucky in this area and, and guys like jeff have been a big help and you know we the boys and girls have all basically got a lot of hockey um you know we didn't stop you know as soon as soon as things opened uh Last June, um, you know, programs began, and, uh, you know, a lot of kids out there from, you know, going back what would be, what, 14 months now, June to now, got a lot of hockey. And a lot of great people out there, um, you know, had had the rinks open and did a lot of things, jumped through a lot of hoops to, to make that happen. Obviously, there were some crazy nights putting your skates on outside of, you know, Pilgrim Arena in the parking lot when it was 14 degrees and hail. Uh, but hockey, true to true to its nature, didn't stop. And matter of fact, you know, there were some kids who got a lot of ice time. So that physical side, um, and you see it now as they've come back and whether you want to look at some of the commitments of the 04s, um, you know, those kids got a lot of hockey. And, you know, the kids in Ontario, of all places, who would think? You know, Ontario and Quebec, those kids had it had it tough. Uh, so some of those kids are actually showing up to prep school now, having not played a lot in in you know whatever it's been sixteen months. Um, so that 
now though, okay, integrating into a team and, and playing a season, there's no question that this is going to be a little different. And yes, as much as the hockey they had, maybe they didn't have specifically the experience uh, that they would have had. And also, you know, right now as a prep school coach, we have a team that, that has about four kids who played a true prep school season two years ago. Uh, between the kids last year that didn't have the full experience and the incoming kids. So they also don't know each other. They didn't have that socialization within the school. They don't, they don't know the school. Mm. Uh, they don't know a lot of their classmates, their teachers. So there's a lot of new. Uh, so not just the ice, but you know everything that sort of leads up to the ice is also going to be a new experience for all kids going back after some version of Zoom or whatever they had last year, hybrid every other day, every other week. Uh, you know, getting back into a normal routine is is going to be interesting. But I think what we all know about young kids is they're resilient, they bounce, and I don't think it'll take long before they're all back in a back in a rhythm. Speaking of your program, some some good news recently with the. Uh the commitment of Chris Romain to uh, yep. Providence College. You know, yep. Kind of talk about his development and what you've seen from him the last yeah. several years. Super kid, great friends with Jake Tebow, uh, birds of a feather flock together mm-hmm. right there. Um, but I think for a lot of people out there, Chris is, Chris is somewhat interesting in terms of just in various uh, rankings or, you know, making the festival or this or that or different things that kids pay a lot of attention to. Uh, for whatever reason, it's probably fair to say that Chris has lived a little bit of a quieter existence. His first year with us two years ago, he broke his wrist in the uh, Flood Mar tournament uh, relatively early on in the season and uh, came back late in the season. Um, so he, he's, I guess, fair to say a little under the radar. But, you know, those of us familiar with him, uh, you know, solid, steady, smart, consistent, reliable. And I think in any endeavor that you're involved with, if those are the adjectives that people are using for you, uh, you're probably going to be a a positive uh, influence. So I'm not surprised. And uh, he's come along. And uh, so for kids out there that might be listening to this or parents, you know, you stay the course. Uh, stay at it, and and what's meant to be will will happen. I think all of us, are, you know, believe in that. And and Chris is an example. Not that, again, he's still a young kid, and and he's got years to go before he gets to Providence. Uh, but at least at this juncture, um, you know, he's he's got an opportunity that way, and good for him. Yeah, Jeff, you've uh, you've been watching this prospect for a while, and you've been writing about him. Just what are your thoughts on the the commitment and uh, the kind of fit that he's gonna gonna give to to Providence? Yeah, I've liked Romaine for a long time, ever since I saw him at BC High and on that South Shore Kings fourteen team back back that year. Um, great feet, has skill, you know, good breakout guy. I think he he's reeled it in a little bit. He used to be a little bit more of a riverboat gambler and. You know, might try to force a puck up the middle that didn't always, you know, couldn't fit through three or four defensemen on the other or players on the other team. But I think that part of his game's gotten better, and he's gotten bigger as well. You know, I think he was five eight, five nine when I first saw him, and he, you know, when I saw him at the uh, River Edge Jamboree the other day, he looked looked pretty close to six feet to me. Um, so I, I think he's a really good player, a good fit for Providence. You know, Nate Lehman has always liked to have his. Uh, defensemen jump up into the play and so I just think it's a good fit all around I, I believe 
Coach Kanata can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe his dad went to Providence. So, yeah. um, you know, I think it's a good fit all around. Yeah, fantastic. And that's a great, it's a great segue to our next question because I want to talk to you, Coach, about the state of hockey in Massachusetts. And he's a, he's a, he's a local product, a Mass native. So um, is he, is he kind of representative of, of, of where we are and what just is kind of the, your, 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 we can start a broad picture and, and, and maybe drill down a bit, but what are your, what are your thoughts of the state of hockey in Massachusetts and, and, and where, where is it as a state and, and then even the re, the region writ large? Yeah. Well, you know, just us being here and New England Hockey Journal and, uh, and what you guys experienced over the last week or so, uh, we are providing a lot of hockey. There's no question. It's a, you know, Montreal, Toronto, Boston, I don't know, you know, if there's any other call it a market as big as those three with as many players as many rinks as many teams as much opportunity again with a with a wide range of of opportunity from you know u6 to men's league to to everything in between that that you guys are involved with too um so that's that's the good news um certainly this is a road that we can go down that can go right. in, go in lots of directions uh but uh there's lots of good players here, and uh, you know, you, you, there's always that out there of you know, you know, we could do better, or we could do this, or we could do that. And certainly, there is, and certainly, those are health, healthy discussions and debates. Um, but at the same time, when you look at Chris and you know, you look at his group, there's there's a lot of good players there. They're going to have the opportunity to play to play high level college hockey. And with that said, we we all know the numbers. You know, we know the numbers. It's it's one percent. It's it it might be two percent, and and that's true in football and baseball and hockey and basketball that are gonna you know you're gonna become a a Division one college player or a top level Division three college player, lacrosse. Those are the numbers, uh, wherever you are. Um, so I think all of us always have to be careful to just look at that group and think that that group could be bigger or better or different. Uh, I recognize and appreciate that just to be in that top group, be close to that top group, is incredibly difficult, if not, quite frankly, impossible for most hockey players. It's impossible. You know, what you're born with, those, those physical and mental traits that are necessary uh, we always say that's why there's only about 60 guys on the planet that get paid five million dollars or more to play forward that's the planet that's Czech Sweden Finland Russia US Canada and uh, you know if it was easy I guess there'd be more guys making five million dollars a year but, right. you know and David Kretschy just does you can't you can't go buy one we can't go over to Lambert's or uh, you know to to the fruit center here and and buy one right it it takes an awful lot um, yeah so I mean Jeff just just curious about what you what you think and and you've been watching the the players coming out of the state for you know, as long as I've known you. So, right. you know, what are your general thoughts about, about the state of hockey in the here? I think Paul just said it pretty well. You know, the there are a lot of good hockey players here, and there there's some things that we certainly could do better. And I believe there's two or three things that need to be changed to 
make it better for everyone. Um, I think everywhere, it's not just a Massachusetts, New England thing. There needs to be less Tier 1 hockey. Um, you know, it's not good for the winning team or the losing team to be involved in a game that's 12 to nothing. Um, you know, it, does, it doesn't serve a purpose. You know, I would like to see all the, and I obviously realize the antitrust and all the other, you know, Chicago, there's a lawsuit going on in Chicago right now over the whole AAA stuff, but if we could ever get to the point where there were eight teams that played against each other, like the Minnesota Elite League does it so well, um, you know, just narrow down the the gap of, you know, avoid some of those lopsided games, um, you know, stuff like that, you know, but I, I think there's a lot of people in, in Mass and in New England that want hockey to be successful and do a great job of helping kids, helping promote the game, helping coach the game, all that stuff. Um, I just, you know, I, I think it, uh, you know, gets people riled up to talk about some of that stuff, but you, you have to, to me, talk about it to get get our product even better which benefits the kids which at the end of the day to me you know that's that's what's most important is that the kids are getting the best experience possible right and that gets back to the youth model the youth development model so coach uh you know i know you've got a lot of a lot of thoughts on this you have a lot of a lot of experience in in observing it and having hands-on having influenced it uh what does this youth development model look like right now in, in 2021? How has it how has it changed, and and is it is it heading in the right direction in your opinion? Is it, is it getting done what it needs to? So so I, I guess probably two two groups here as well I, that I look at is you know 90 percent of the the people out there in Massachusetts who are coaching Mike teams, Scort teams, Pee Wee teams, even high school teams and midget teams. You're providing a playing opportunity for kids. So for all of those people, uh, and, and then the other group I would identify would be, I guess you would call it elite player competition, um, however you want to draw that line. Um, for, the, for the 98% of coaches and parents and players in Massachusetts, just do a good job where you are. You know, just do it. Whatever team you have, just just do a good job and I've you know I've seen it in hockey I've seen it in little league I've seen it in youth soccer where there's unbelievable usually parents volunteering to work with a group of kids and they're incredibly impressive in the time and energy that they put into it and and the incredible experiences that they provide kids whether it's a c-level soccer team or a you know town b team hockey uh, those that's fantastic. It's important. It's a big part of the kids' lives, just like we mentioned with COVID, because you can see when you take it away, uh, the young people are, are missing something. So they're providing a team experience. They're providing a socialization. They're providing fitness. Um, it's it's tremendous. Um, you want to shift to the other, I guess you would say, group of of what some people would term elite player. And I think in all sports right now, yeah, it's a problem where, you know, if you want to find a quote-unquote elite team to play on, you can. Right. You know, you can pay 3000 5000 or whatever it is. And, and, again, this isn't just More. hockey. You know, baseball is the same. There's, however, many club baseball teams out there that are claiming to provide a, a high-level baseball experience or, or soccer. Uh, the reality is there's only so many high-level players in, in all of these sports. Um, so what do you do? The, the, what comes to my mind, or 
you want to talk about Sweden, and I haven't looked closely at the country of Sweden for a while, but but my experience has been as they have their traditional club program somewhat under the same world soccer model, and uh, whether it's AIK or, or Hammersby or the Uppsala or up not those those traditional programs that are basically run by the government, basically. The rinks are owned by the country of Sweden or the city. Right there starts the big difference between what we have in a capitalistic society where our facilities are owned by private people. As we talked about a little earlier before we went on the air, the world of the 70s and in the 80s where, you know, the Mike Eruzioni's and all those great guys came from uh, no longer exists in Massachusetts. It, it doesn't exist. We have private rinks. And, and in fairness to them, they've made a huge financial commitment, whether it's the, the real estate and the facility and they're employing lots of people. Um, so right there, our model's going to be different. And uh, you, you, can't, you can't mandate what should be done or could be done because it's, it's at the sake of the, the market. Toronto's similar. Um, Montreal's similar. And you got a large population of people who have means in the Boston area. And we have rinks. And here we go. So... As much as I think Jeff and I or whomever, if, if Jerry York and Teddy Donato and Bruce Cassidy wanted to sit down together and say this would be great for, for youth development in the hockey world, they don't own the programs or the facilities. Um, so that, you know, sort of the capitalistic pieces here are going are gonna to run. Right. And we, you know, we did, in, earlier we spoke about just in terms of the development model, just how much things have changed in terms of, you know, back in the 70s and the 80s, you didn't have ice year-round, and yeah. players, players were playing, you know, multi-sport. They were multi-sport athletes yeah. because the ice came out. How has that impacted the, 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 the hockey players and the development model itself in terms of what we're seeing on the rinks these days compared yeah. to how it was when you were, you yeah. were coming up in the sport? Yeah, I, I, you know, again, that that world that we lived in no longer exists. Both both as far as you know, all those great Medford kids, the Bateses and Sheehan's, and you know, all that up there, and you know, the Donatos in High Park with the Bavises, uh, you know. And I use that as an example. Let's just let's just go with the Donato family. And I, I, I guess, just observing and knowing the family, it would be probably impossible for those for that family to play hockey at a high level. I, I believe there's five. There might be six. So to think now when you're going to enter, you're going to put Chris Donato in a, in a program, and then you're going to put Danny, and then you're going to put Teddy, and he's got an older sister, another brother. How you, And then you find out that the game for Chris is in Enfield, Connecticut, and the game for Danny is in Marlboro, and the game for Teddy is, is in Rhode Island. And right. you know that's where the world's gone. And you know, thirty years ago, the games were in High Park, or they were at the Dorchester MDC rank, and and it was pretty manageable. But no doubt, the time hurdle, um, the cost hurdle, the travel hurdle, uh, make it make it difficult. I think for a lot of families uh, to just play the sport. That's the other part. Is okay if you wanna if you wanna develop a David Kretchy or a Patrice Bergeron or 
whoever you want to use, what do you need? You need all those athletic qualities um, that are that are really given at birth. You can't develop, you know, you can help with speed, but, you know, a kid basically is either fast or he's not. You know, you want to run down the street. And, um, so you need athletes. And, and Jeff and I have talked about this. Uh, you know, in, in Sweden and Finland and Czech and Minnesota, for the most part, the better male athletes play hockey. I don't know exactly what the percentages are, but it's pretty high. You know, Finland doesn't have football. Finland doesn't really have basketball. Uh, Sweden doesn't have Little League. Uh, Sweden doesn't have Pop Warner football. So here in Boston, our athletes have choices, and it's probably fair to say that if you want to take a group of 10 boys from any town around here and say, okay, these might be your 10 sort of seemingly most athletic boys, my observation is that one or two of them play hockey and seven or eight of them play baseball, basketball, football. So right there we've lost eight potential you know, high-level athletes that could bring those athletic attributes to the rink and probably project to be one of the better players. I think if Gronk played hockey, which he did a little bit in Buffalo uh, and his family, he probably was going to be something. He's right. big, he's strong, he's fast, he's athletic, he's tough. I like all those qualities. He might be the Cam Neely, uh, yeah. Cam Neely of the NHL yeah. minus the simmering, yeah. burning intensity. Yeah, if LeBron James played hockey uh, from the time he was five years old, I'm going to guess he would have, at the very least, he would have been intriguing. Um, so, oh, no, interesting. Jeff, what, what do you think of what do you think? I think uh, you know all of that is true and. And I think, like you talk about the travel and the differences, obviously, you know, it's kind of, I think a lot of times people criticize this area for that, but it's all over the place. You know, Michigan kids are traveling everywhere. If you play for the Colorado Thunderbirds, you're you're traveling to Phoenix one weekend, Chicago one weekend, you know, going to Minnesota maybe, going to Omaha, going to, you know, Michigan. But, you know, they come out here in October for the Beantown Buffalo, you know, whatever it is, I, I think this area gets a bad rap more often than not, and I think some of it's fair, some of it's not fair, and I think, you know, yes, the private privatization of rinks has made it so those guys need to make money because you know, I think a lot of times people just say, oh, the rink owners are the big bad guys, but if it's not for these club teams and these club tournaments, there, there's no games on Labor Day weekend or whatever and, and the New England Sports Center is not a nine rank facility making money it's a big nine rank facility losing losing money so you know I, I don't play I think there needs to be changes I think we need to do a better job of making it so that there's a path to help the elite players and a path to help the the, the good players that just want to be want to be hockey players and you know I think you know, it's, I'm not saying I have all the answers. I don't think anyone does, but you know, I think the more I the more I realize, more the more I'm in the ranks. The the, the, the it's not just an easy cut and dry explanation. The the rink owners are, are making money at some places, but a lot of places are losing money. There's a pretty well known rink on the on the South Shore that I think's been up for auction two or three times now. Um, so, you know, for everyone making money, there's there's some guys that are 
that are losing money as well. So, and the key to that management is is having the summer hockey and the events that keep those buildings open year round and, and offering opportunities. Right. But it's a double edged sword yeah. because the more hockey the players play all year, the more tired they are when the season begins. Or maybe you have uh, you have the thought about the specialization. You know, is that right. you, know, you have that? And I don't I don't know that we want to open that can of worms particularly the specialization because there are some things we want to get into uh, yep. with Coach Canada. But I mean, these are all great points, and you know, it's food for thought. And if you're if you're a player or you're a parent, you 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 want to consider that. You want to think about that because. You know, the, the, the hockey year-round makes better, more skilled players, certainly, but uh, it also creates some, we call it the law of unintended consequences. And on that note, Coach, I mean, as these players come into your program or have come into your program over the years, and think back to, to the way the players were when you first started coaching at the prep level and, and, and what you're getting now, what are your thoughts on how ready they are for this level in term? You know, I, I imagine... You know, just just an, an unscientific hypothesis would be they're they're more skilled than yeah. they were. Yep. But what are they like in terms of their coachability and their understanding of how to play the game and the structure and the systems that you have to implement to be a, a successful program at the prep level? Yeah, well, I think there's no doubt too that the the good player now, the 2021 good hockey player, is really really good across the world this speed and skill level that that they're playing at from the nhl all the way down is is remarkable really the the better and that that's what i think's made it a little tougher like, you know your your bar now to be a good player is is really high and again i would say working at a prep school where you have a variety of of activities going on that's true in the singing world. That's true in the math world. That's true in the computer science world. That's true in the piano world. The talent of these young kids is is really remarkable. Um, but bringing kids in to to at this level, yeah, every every player has challenges. You know, every player. Uh, you know, Matty Benias has challenges. He's very very good, but but you know, every player has challenges. Uh, Maybe Connor McDavid doesn't. Uh, you know, I don't know if that list gets much longer. Uh, but but every player has challenges, and and that's where you find out. Okay, you know, as you guys know, this guy's really fast, but has these limitations. This kid's got a great mind and great hands, but the feet are the feet are a little slow, and and that's where your part and parcel as it as it moves forward as to who can continue to play, who can continue to be a good player every time they they step up the ladder. Um, what I still think is true is great kids. They love to play. They're, they've been great kids forever. Uh, tremendous energy, uh, mean well, and uh, it, it's a lot of fun to compete, as, as Jeff knows, with, with these guys and be around them on a daily basis. It's a, it's a great life. Um, but the skill level, the speed, and, and I remember somewhat distinctly Maybe it was six or seven years ago we were playing one of our first games against Tabor. I remember, and I walked down. Uh, James Marcoux at the time was the assistant, and I walked about eight minutes into the game, and I walked down to James, and I go, is it me, or is this really fast out here? It's the top kids. And it is, for whatever reason, that was about the year where it, where it tilted towards like, woo. But the, the, the speed, strength, conditioning programs these kids are doing year-round, and in particular in the summer, you know, the numbers, we have the numbers of testing. You know, we've got 20 years of data, 
at Milton Academy of the athletes coming in, and, and you see where it's gone. Um, you know, a 4740 back back in 2000, call it 2005, 2010 was, was almost unheard of. And now lots of these kids in all the sports are coming into ninth and 10th grade running 48, 4740s. Uh, not that a high squat is everything, but your vertical leaps. And, and again, that's true across all the sports basketball, football. You know, take an offensive lineman in football. We know what an offensive lineman in football looked like 25 years ago. And, and now the athleticism of your defensive tackles, your defensive ends, the size, the speed, the strength, the power, the quickness is literally off, off the charts. And that's meshing, you know, science and, and the Mike Boyles of the world and Steve Darling at Milton and Brian McDonough out in Foxborough. That's meshing those guys with, with the on-ice piece. Right, and that's what I was getting ready to say. You've always had the athletes, but the yep. difference is you yep. can take that raw material and you can add the, the strength and conditioning piece. You can add the the, the training and yep. the nutrition and all of these things yep. that, you know, in the old days, I mean, guys would yep. be eating burgers and, and, and drinking Cokes and, and weren't really necessarily watching yep. what they, they were eating because their metabolism was so high and, it you know, yep. they weren't. You know, they weren't putting on the weight, but that wasn't the kind of fuel they needed yep. to maximize their performance. All this stuff is really revolutionized yep. in, 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 at all levels. I, I remember yep. a story about Mario Lemieux back in the day saying that uh, he was asked what he did to get ready for, for, for Pittsburgh Penguins yeah. training camp, and he said, well, I stopped having fries with my BLT in yeah. uh, August. You know, yeah. and so... Obviously a glib yeah. a glib answer from Le Magnifique, but uh, Matty Beneers, you mentioned him. Um, second overall pick in the draft. Maybe one day he's going to wear the C in Seattle. We don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But what 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 about Matty Beneers when he came into came into Milton? Did you did you see right away and, and and gave you the indication that he was a special player, a cut above? Yep. Yep. Uh, first, whenever we talk about Matty, we have to mention his brother Bobby, who was at Milton for four years and a captain. There and, you go, and tremendous right. player, tremendous person, and and his whole family. And that's probably where it begins again. You know, the family, uh, the, the mom, the dad, sister, Bobby, Matty, uh, just just great people. And uh, you know, obviously, that's where Matty, that's where he comes from. That's his DNA, and and that's what's allowed him to. Uh, to get where he's gotten but in particular as a hockey player um you know certainly maddie was was a good player obviously a very good player in that age group uh, at the time and coming in but but as a ninth grader who probably weighed about 140 pounds that year he might have been about 510 140 145 as a ninth grader we all certainly had our questions maybe more so as parents of okay how's this gonna go um, but but early on, you could see his his IQ, and again, I guess as I try to describe it, just the the speed at which he processed things, the combination of his 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 mind speed and his feet and his hands and and making the right decisions. You know, after being on the ice about three or four days, it was clear that there was something. And and again, we've said it. You have to be careful when you say this kid could be special. You know, those things come back down. Oh, you said Jeff Cox was going to be special. He's you know playing in a men's league at ten o'clock at night. But uh, but we did kind of go out on a on a little bit of a limb there and saying, well, compared to what else is out there, he is certainly potentially a, a special. Uh, but what makes Maddie, and obviously you read a lot about it in the draft analysis. 
again, he's combining special physical qualities with also special uh, personal qualities. Again, just... Uh, you know, the work ethic and the, the energy, the enthusiasm, the positivity, the teammate piece, uh, you know, that's that rounds him out. And again, when you look at this draft to see the uh, kids out there should listen to this. Was he the fastest player? No. Is he the biggest player? No. Is he the toughest player? No. Does he have the best hands? No. Is he the best scorer? No. You know, that's a no, 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 no. He's the first forward taken in the world. Why? He's reliable or potentially reliable at that level. Right. And, uh, and, and, you know, sort of the whole package that way, where you know what you, you know what you're getting, and you know there's quality there, and you know, or you hope, you anticipate that uh, something positive is going to happen there, and uh, and that's the beauty of uh, of Maddie. New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise Podcast will return after this message. If you love college hockey and want an inside look at the game, get a copy of the book, Great Game, D1 College Hockey, People, Places, Perspectives. From the emotions of Frozen Fours to the atmosphere and classic venues, Bruce Haas has captured the passion that people have for the college game through interviews with players, coaches, officials, and fans. No other book captures the spirit of college hockey like this does. Great Game makes a great gift for the holidays for a college hockey fan. Score your copy of Great Game today on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Atascabooks.com, or at your local bookstore. Not everyone can be, not everyone can be Maddie Beneers, obviously. But some of these these players that are coming up, what do you, what do you take, what do you say to to aspiring players that that look at a Maddie Beneers and they say to themselves, oh, I, you know, I, I don't know that I could ever be the second second overall pick yep. in the NHL draft. Uh, but I do want to play prep hockey, and, you know, uh, yeah. how, how do I get there? Well, you know, three kids you've asked about, Jake Tebow, he's got a battle, Chris Romaine, Matty Benez. If you back up four years on all of them, um, so, you know, Jake Tebow coming out of Worcester and playing sort of in an unorthodox, I don't say unorthodox, but but different programs out in Central Mass, and, and as Jeff knows, you know, a certain clubs that have cachet or you think oh if you can't play for this team you know Jake Tebow you know is going to be one of our captains this year and even me working with him two years ago if if you had asked me then is Jake Tebow is Jake Tebow going to be one of your captains I would well that's that's probably a reach Mm -hmm. um you know Chris Romaine three or four years ago you certainly see had pieces um is Chris Romaine going to commit to Providence College yeah, you know, the possibilities are there, but in same with Matty. People say, you know, and I asked uh, I asked uh, Rod Braceful at the National Pro, I said, all right, Rod, when, when prior to Matty coming to the National Program, number two in the draft? He goes, no. I go, same here. You know, how, how would you have said Matty's going to be the first forward taken in the world? No. Nobody had that. And, and so with those three of all... I, I don't know if the word is overachieved. They've just achieved. Mm-hmm. And so, again, for everybody out there, and I think this would be true in any endeavor, if you show up on time, if you work hard, you bring energy, you, you take coaching, you take counsel from your parents and teachers and coaching, you accept it, you do that every day. Whatever whatever you're meant to be, you'll, you'll get there, and, and maybe you'll get a little bit further. And again, I would think that would be true in in, in anything that uh, all of us are doing. 
Uh, but all three of those kids exemplify that just on a daily basis. And the other beauty of those kids is if we told them that day that, hey, guys, we got to go sweep the gym and, and mop the gym floor first. Okay, where's the mop? Where's the broom? You want me to? You want me to sweep first? Or you want me to mop? You know, they, whatever it was, whatever the challenge, whatever they were, they were sort of what guys, not why guys. You know, what do we got to do? No problem. Not why do we have to do this? So why do we have That's to be a here? Fantastic point. Yeah. What versus why? Oh yeah. And I'm sure you see all you you see all types, but as a coach, you know, yeah. when you see that manifest, it's yeah. good and bad. I mean, what? Are, you know, the, the the what guy versus the why guy. What kind of message does that send to you as, as a coach in terms yeah. of trust and, and reliability on the ice in yeah. terms of being able to project it? Yeah, and, and no doubt, obviously, the National Hockey League, they spend literally millions of dollars trying to figure that out, you know, which which guys are going to, because it's hard. And, again, I keep saying that, but it, you got to respect the fact that it's hard. Any for Severian to win the Catholic Conference last year was hard. To be a good player on Severian is hard. Every every, unfortunately, it's cruel that way. The higher up you go, the harder the game keeps becoming. And who can continue to battle through that and and be successful, um, you know, is something that we all try to try to figure out. Yeah, you've you've had a you've had a really you know notable program over the years. And before we maybe take a little bit of a trip down memory lane. We won't go too 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 deep into it. What what do you want to tell people about Milton Academy in general and and and, and the program? Uh anyone that might be interested in maybe has the ability, maybe has that talent we're talking about and and, and is serious about uh, pursuing pursuing prep hockey and and the education yeah. that they're going to get. What what would you tell them about your school? Well, I think we're lucky too in the in the northeast we have a lot of options academically. Uh, in the entire Northeast, and uh, certainly in the greater Boston area, we have a lot of options. And I, I tell people up front, I'm biased. So with all, all these challenges that, that we may be talking about in terms of player development or whatnot, I think, you know, for the kids that are 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, find the school that works for you and play. If it's hockey, play hockey. If it's two sports, play two sports. And, and do other things and see what happens. Like, it's that simple. Find the school that works for you academically, athletically, socially, financially, geographically. What school works for you and play. And, and you know, work hard, have fun, all that stuff, and see what happens. And for me, of all the players in this area that I'm aware of over the last 30 years, those guys who have done that, the outcome and they're out here now at 30, 40 years old, their outcome's pretty good. And if you're meant to be a first-round draft pick, you, you will be. You will be. And if you're meant to play at you know, a beanpot school, you'll get there. You, we could rattle all those guys off, and, and many of them took different paths, but they'll, they'll get there. And if you're meant to play at a Bowden or Colby or Middlebury, it, it will happen. Babson, it will happen. And if you're not meant to play at those schools, you can go play club hockey at a ton of schools out there and have hockey be a part of your collegiate experience. And, and you know, it's all, it's all fantastic. And we know kids who've done all of that. And when you're going to be 26 before you know it, and we know what the odds are of making any type of meaningful living from, from sports or the sport of hockey, it truly is that simple. If you're in Hingham and Hingham High works for you, 
it's a great school. Mm. <laughs> you don't have right. to pay tuition. Uh, great hockey program. Uh, they've produced a ton of kids down there and uh, in that hockey program. And, and you know, there's Catholic conference schools. Uh, and you have to go to high school. And high school is the only time they're going to teach you to write. You know, you go to Harvard, you're going to write. I don't think they're going to teach you to write. They're not going to get into the nuts and bolts of it. But grade 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, so formative socially and academically. And knowing that your chances of, of making any sort of meaningful living from hockey are so slim uh, to me. And again, when you look at all, you know, what did Noah Hannafin do? You know, what did the Hayes brothers do? You know, what did Matty Benares do? Go right down the line of all the good players. Um, that's the path. And whether, whether then the national program wants to pull you out or somebody wants to commit you or you get injured, you know, you've covered your bets. And there's lots of great places around. I like to think that Milton's one of them, but there's lots of great places. There's, there's all-male, all-female schools, uh, bigger schools, smaller schools. So you find the one that works for you hard to believe it's been 10 years but take us back take us back to salem new hampshire uh just uh, a great run that Mil- that mustangs team you know whether we're talking robbie o'gara or pat mcnally yeah. or sean uh, doherty in yeah. that and yeah. uh, woody hudson was a guy that i was looking at i mean uh, and then you have you know on the other side kent you know you had yeah. a couple of nhlers on that team so just do uh, you stay in touch with those those guys and 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 what when you when you battle so hard and you and you go through an experience like that where you go all the way and you reach the summit of what you're trying to achieve as a team and team's so important like what you're you're literally coach going to walk with those guys the rest of your life and yeah. so what what did that championship mean to mean to you personally and to the team and the, and the student athletes you coached. Yeah, again, you you look back, and the first thing that comes to my mind is special people. And you got a great memory. I, I'm, I'm impressed uh, the kids that you rattled off, but uh, but special people. And and I think any team that's successful, again, business world, sports, you're, it's just special people. And yes, there's there's got to be a talent level. There's no question. Uh, and you got to be a little lucky. There's no question. Uh, you, you know, at the same time, though, we all know talented players and talented groups that that aren't able to get over to get over you know let's pick on toronto right now um sounds good yeah here in boston let's pick on toronto but or let's look at the washington capitals and the journey that they took you know which basically a 10-year journey to get to the stanley cup and, and ovechkin uh you know that that's a journey there's a journey there to try to kind of figure it out uh, in prep school and college you don't get 10 years um, but if, if, you know, for all of us, that group that comes together that has those pieces um, and, and you're a little bit lucky, you get that bounce so you get that ref call every now and then or you avoid injuries at the wrong time to the wrong players, uh, all of those things have to happen, then, uh, then it's special. But great group of guys. And, again, if you go down and, and look at every one of them right now, 10 years later, knock on wood, they're all doing However you want to describe well, um, they're all doing well. And then you had a range of players there, as every prep school team is going to have. And what I love about prep school, again, that range is all taken care of. 
you know, whether you're going to, you know, we had a kid there that went to RPI and played club hockey and want to be an engineering major, and that makes sense. Uh, obviously, Robbie O'Gara, you know, went on in hockey, and McNally went to Harvard. But, uh, you know, a kid like Jake Turn, that was our captain, and probably fair to say somewhat the heart and soul of the group, uh, went to Amherst College and was an All-American there. And, and just keep going down the line. Uh Test my memory a bit. Yeah. It wasn't Sean Okita that had the winning goal? Shawnee from California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he scored and, the winner yeah, in that game. And again, I smile. <laughs> as soon as you mentioned his name, I smile. The kid had a wrist shot. And, and he, Shawnee came to Milton uh, as a forward. Uh, sorry, as a defenseman. And, and two days later, we you know we had a chat with him and thought, you know, maybe talk about Riverboat Gambler, <laughs> you know, things of there that nature. And we had a pretty thick blue line, but uh, Shawnee, just a great kid. And, uh, and you know, a rebound there, T.J. Schneider shot and, uh, and a rebound. And I always tell, you know, people from, from California, I say, you know, when we won the championship, the kid who scored the winning goal was from Los Angeles. And back then, maybe a little bit more novel that it was he's out of the old California wave group out there. Right. But uh, but all great kids. And that was around the time that the you know I mean I mean I think Kevin Miller was just you know he was at yeah. he was at Vermont at the time but he had come out from California and yeah. played at Berkshire and yeah. you know I mean just yeah. yeah I mean good 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 memories good good group um, and you look back and you're at your first sixteen years as, uh, you know being a being a coach you know what are some of the most important takeaways and lessons that you've you've learned from coaching these these players. Well, that's you know again we could probably spend spend a while on that one, but uh, but it's been it's been a, a blast. I'm lucky. I'm, I'm blessed uh, again. Just the friendships uh, this area, as we all know, and especially you know the last couple of weeks and and with Jake's situation right now, the the people that we're surrounded with. Uh, no better group of people, uh, and and lucky to just be a part of it and. Uh, and do it close to home um, all these years. Uh, it's it's been fantastic, and uh, you know, just 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 again, lucky, uh, and and it's fun, um, and and working with these kids, the type of kids they are, and uh, just very fortunate to to be around them. Now, this next question is going to—it's—it's it's a coaching question. But it's really kind of for the both of you because you're—you're both experienced with this. So, outside of coaching the prep team at, at Milton, you do—you do other coaching, uh, and, and, and Jeff, you know, your your involvement in that. I mean, what is it? Um, what is the challenges maybe of of when you're playing these, whether it's a summer team or a fall team, where you're taking a bunch of disparate hockey players from different programs from not necessarily the region that could be from outside and you put them together and you're expected to go out and play games in a very short window of time and you're having to play in these competitions where every win matters what are you know what are have been some of your experiences we'll start with you coach Kanata but what have been uh, some of your experiences and and, and and what do you see does that does the experiences you have with those players as you coach them um, does that translate to maybe recruiting opportunities down the road or opportunities to help them get to where they want to go, maybe at higher levels because of those interactions? Yeah, no no doubt. And, again, just seeing different sports. Um, I always say to, 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 to my children and to my son, just very lucky to be around. Again, good people, good competition, uh, good practices, good coaches, 
and I think we're we're a little lucky when you say disparate. Um, you know, we we are able to choose for the most part. Obviously, there's some version of a tryout, and yes, you're looking for quality players, but yes, you're looking for for quality kids, and yes, you're looking for quality families. And I don't mind coming in second. I don't mind coming in third or fourth. I mean, obviously, we all compete to do the best we can, and occasionally you win a championship. But I I do enjoy just being with a good group of people and working for a common goal and working hard and being roughly on the same page. Um, so we are able to be a little selective that way. But on a, on a good side for player development, and it's not perfect, but I think for the better players – and maybe it's not as often as it could be or it could be in a different format, you are able to bring you know, certain teams together to play each other um, a lot. Um, you know, Being with my son's group the last couple of years, we, we played mid-fairfield a lot, mm-hmm. almost a grotesque amount. But it was a really good game. And uh, the kids then, you know, that rising tide, lifts all boats and it might not be fair across the board to other kids who might not have that experience but you know being in a high level competition is not just a great experience for your athletic development but it's a great experience for for your personal development and it's challenging and it's hard and the growth comes from the struggle and I think that's what Jeff's getting at 12-1 is not a struggle 7-1 is not a struggle 2-2 is a struggle and, and that's where the growth comes from, both technically speaking as far as skill and, and on-ice activity as well as managing those situations and being a goalie in those situations. Uh, and I've seen it in other sports as well where, you know, being in a 3-3 baseball game in the sixth inning is a challenge. You know, you're up 10 nothing in the sixth inning. That's not a challenge. So seeing the young kids... And you got to be careful, and you can always debate what age is best. But putting those better players against the better players, uh, and I think Jeff's—that's what Jeff's getting at—is is going to. Uh, that's the struggle you're looking for that may produce further development. Jeff, right? I mean, 100 percent. To me, you know, it's evaluating talent. You want to see if that kid's going to score a goal in the third period when the game's tied two to two, or go in for that puck battle, you know, forecheck hard or defend with some jam in a tight game. It, I don't care if a kid scores a six goal and a six to one win and then disappears, you know, when we need a goal, you know, late in the game in a two, two tie or down a goal or in, in that situation. I just think it, it helps the kids. It helps, you know, the evaluators, the college coaches, um, the NHL scouts, the, national team whatever it might be to see what those kids do in in clutch situations because that it's just that's what it's going to be because when you go to I go to a lot of college games every year you know there's very rarely a lopsided college game even even when Merrimack plays BC or I'm not trying to pick on those two places but like you know the there's just not very many lopsided games it's the the pyramid I think you used the term earlier the pyramid gets narrower and narrower and you know there's a lot of good players and you those college coaches want to see how how those kids do in a, in a tight game you know not oh he on point night when we're up you know seven to one on 
a lesser team or, you know, that it's just, I just think it's so invaluable for the kids to, you know, be in those situations with the Junior Eagles, with the Mid-Fairfields, with the River Rats, with the Cape Cod Whalers, those little Bruins, um, you know, there's more, but the, those are, you know, South Shore Kings, five of the, five or six of the teams from around here that always put together good products, and um, it's just, I, I think, stuff like that is just, you know, I, I enjoyed so many of those Eagles mid-Fairfield games watching from the stands last year. A lot of good players, a lot of good games, some some back and forth. You know, like, you want to see those rivalry games. Like, I want to go to, I want to go watch BCBU. I don't, you know, care to watch. Be careful. Yeah, no, I, I, I got to be very careful here. We're good. We see where you're going. <laughs> yeah. We see where you're going, <laughs> Wait till <on> the, t- <laughs> <on> the tweets. <laughs> and I think Coach Bork took note of what you know said what I, earlier. Sure you, 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 oh, he's fired up. You know what I notice <laughs> just walking around? Because there, there are so many rinks at the New England Sports Center. My goodness, you can get lost in that place, but not really. I mean, it's. But I do like the layout, with the exception of, of Rink 6, which I think I was asked at least four times where Rink 6 was, and I feel for the I feel for the out-of-town, the people that are in that building the first time. Because, uh, But you go around and you see these games and you see all the coaches and the scouts, and if they're all gathered around watching a game, you need to stop. Don't keep walking. Stop yeah. and watch that game because that gets back exactly to what you guys are talking about. That's the competitive game. They're not... You know, once these scores start getting out of hand, you can just tell just the way the goals are scored. Or the, you know, I mean, you know, this is what we do. This we watch hockey, and you see it, and then you see people get up and move on to the next thing, looking for something that's more competitive and is going to give them the players that are going to ultimately give them the edge. It's really evident. I just I took note of that, and I would be like, yeah, okay, look at all the look at all the the usual suspects. I call yeah. them. They were the. The yeah. coaches and the recruiters and the scouts from from some some great programs yeah. from around the country yeah. just there watching intently and yeah. that's that's the sign that hey stop walking turn around turn, you know find yeah. a spot and watch the game because you're yeah. going to get something there. Well, yeah. I think the other kind of a added fun part of split season hockey and probably prep school is my, I don't have experience with it but I'm sure Paul can add to it but. To see a kid like a Jason Zakari and the Eagles, I'm sure the mid Fairfield Eagles rivalry meant nothing to him until until last year. We have a couple of Quebec kids on the River Rats. The you know Eagles River Rats game of the night meant nothing to them before the other night. Whereas you know the kids from around here kind of teach. I'm sure you know with the Eagles, the you know the mid Fairfield rivalry, the you know kids on the River Rats, the kids on the Whalers. Like you wanna you wanna beat those other teams. Whereas I think it's fun to see the kids from out of, out of the area come in and kind of experience that for the first time. And I've heard Jerry York or Albie O'Connell or Jim Madigan talk about in the past of the kids from California or other places, you know, coming in and the, the bean pot didn't mean as much to them. And then obviously by the time they're seniors, the you know the bean pot means a lot to them. So I think stuff like that makes sports, you know, more fun than it already is to begin with. But it's it's fun to see the kind of the rivalries and the um, competition and kind of ingratiating those kids from out of the area into um, into it. And I, I don't think there's a better example than you know the Mid Fairfield Eagles rivalry around here right now. So as we're starting to wind this down and wrap this up. I, I warned you about this earlier, so if you don't have a good uh, response, Coach, this wow. one's on you. No pressure or anything. Talk about, <laughs> talk about school starting. There we go. Uh, there we first go. First day in the classroom. All right. 
So what kind of advice would the coach Paul Canada of 2021 give, if you could go back in time to 2005, what advice would you give yourself when you were just starting out as a, as a prep coach? Yeah, and that that is a tough question. There's there's a lot of advice I would give myself too. And uh, you know, what's the old thing that uh, good decisions come from experience, and experience comes from bad decisions. So you gotta you gotta you gotta make a lot of mistakes to uh, again the, the the growth is in the struggle. Um, but uh, for young people, and and obviously we've we've mentioned a couple who are getting into coaching or, or starting coaching. Um, you know, I think we always look back and say, could we have enjoyed ourselves more, you know, and uh, actually talked to a couple, I guess you could say, older guys recently about that as we're sort of always on to the next, you know, and and, and unfortunately, too, in hockey, there's there's your present and then there's your future. And at, at Milton, we don't have a, a full-time scouting staff or even, you know, admissions dedicated to, to that. Um, so you're, you're always sort of walking in two worlds, and do you, do you, you know, stop and smell the roses or appreciate the day? And I, I think as I've, and I'm, I'm still working myself uh, to, to be a better person, to be a better coach, to be a better husband, to be a better father. And I tell my wife, honey, I'm going to peak in my 80s every day. You got that to look forward to. Uh, I don't know if she always has the same enthusiasm for that, but, uh, but we're all, you know, that's, that's ongoing. Uh, and uh, at the same time, you know, yes, you have to work hard. You know, you're young in anything. You have to work hard. You have to get out there. You have to be present. You have to volunteer for things. You have to do things for free, uh, wherever you can go to 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 get better at what you're doing when you're younger. At the same time, uh, can you find a way to enjoy yourself and 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 make sure those around you are enjoying themselves and try to find that balance between competition and positivity um you know that that's ongoing for me and uh but if i look back you know 15 20 years ago you know could you have could you eased up a little bit here or there i know one guy this summer said i'd like to call the guys i coached 20 years ago and just apologize to huh. them because right. you know as i look back you shake your head uh, at the, and at the same time the world has changed you know, the world has changed dramatically, I, I think, in the last five years, in the last 10 years, certainly. Never mind 20 years ago. I actually had this discussion with my wife and daughter at the dinner table and looking at the current, the current mayor's race in Boston and, and all sorts of things. That it's a different world. The, the young kids are different. Um, their expectations or their, their interactions with their teachers and coaches and parents now are different. You know, my children are being raised different than I was raised. It's it's perfectly fine, but and be aware of that and try to adapt to that. Uh, you know, hey, hats off to Jerry York and guys like that. I mean, Coach York was winning games, you know, 70 years ago, right, Coach? And, uh, and now he's he's still winning games, and right. uh, he's adapted and, and doing a great job. But I think we all look at Coach York as, as a great example. He's He's competitive. Uh, there's no doubt a little bit of a you know a lion in sheep's clothing, uh, and fair you know testament to him. At the same time, I think he strikes a pretty good balance, and uh, both in his off ice interactions with his players as well as on ice. And you know they're top five in the country now, and they were top five in the country in you know 2010. Right. Well, 
Coach, just really want to thank you uh, for, for being so generous with your time. I think this has been a great show. Uh, it has really, I think we've touched on so many, so many topics that are, that are helpful. Again, we, we encourage you, if you're not doing so already, subscribe, download our podcast, listen to the New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise podcast. Um, Coach, if, is there anything that, uh, that we didn't cover that you, you'd, you'd like to say to, to close us out? No, I just just reiterate. I think we always have to be aware. You know, is this is this sort of high level competition what we're involved in, or is this I'd say recreational? But but also to the parents and coaches and all of us, it, I can say again, it's really hard. You know, I had a parent recently, you know, asked me about their kid and talked to me about their kid, and I said, look, and I think you're being really hard on him. Like, please understand, this there's no pill that we can give him. That's going to make him a 16 goal scorer at St. Sebastian's, and and if you look historically at every 20 goal scorer at St. Sebastian's, that's a really good player. You know, Brian Boyle is amongst the best on the planet, so it's really hard to to get there. Kenny Roach, Sean Sullivan, Nikki Koskinen, uh, you know, Danny O'Regan, like a Danny O'Regan, it's really hard. So both for the coaches and for and for parents and the players uh, to strike that balance and just recognize that and do the best you can and let the chips fall where they may. Fantastic. Well, Jeff, Jeff and I, on behalf of the, uh, the Rinkwise podcast, Coach, we really, again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your insights. And uh, until next time, we'll see you at the rink. Thanks for listening to New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at NEHockeyJournal, on Instagram and Facebook at New England Hockey Journal, and subscribe to New England Hockey Journal online at HockeyJournal.com. New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise is a Siemens Media Podcast.